we are going to be starting a new series. It's going to be the book of Daniel, and the overarching series title is Courageous Character. We're going to be starting in Daniel chapter 1, so you want to turn in your Bibles there. Um, In Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be covering something, and this is the sermon title for today for this chapter, Courage Over Compromise. Courage Over Compromise. You know, we're going to see a young man who is uh, in, the, in Daniel, we're going to see his entire life. But in the beginning, we're going to see a young man who is ripped out of what his life was. Think about the, all the hopes and dreams of someone maybe 20 years or younger, right? All the things that they have planned for life. And life doesn't go the way that they had planned. But that doesn't mean that God is done. Just because his life has changed, just because his situation has changed, it doesn't mean that in the middle of that adversity or in those challenging times, that God will not make this young man flourish. In fact, God's hand will be ever upon Daniel. And this brings up the question that we all have to decide, because this is the decision that Daniel has to make. This is the decision we have to make. In this life, you can serve the world, or you can serve the God of this world. That's your choice. That's a decision Daniel's going to have to make, and that's the decision that we're going to have to make. And I want to put that in perspective for you. Like when you're looking at a list of things, like I could order this or I can order this off the menu. You can serve the world and just put that in perspective for a second and all the things that come with the world. There's a lot of great things in the world. There's things that are good, but maybe not permissible in, in the walk of a Christian life, but they're still wonderful things. Family's good. You know, football's good. Cold weather is good. You know, but can it, can it get in the way of the Lord? Yes, absolutely can. So you can either serve this world or you can serve the God of this world. Now, the focus, as you can see on the screen with that awesome poster up there, is that we're focusing on courageous character. But this particular book, the book of Daniel, even though it's full of uh, like courage, it's full of prophecy. Some of you guys would even consider it a, prof- a prophetic book. Um, I do to myself. As you guys know, I'm a great lover of the book of Revelation, and so Daniel's a counterpart. So this is a great guilty pleasure for me to be in this book, and I'm excited about it. But the Hebrew writers didn't actually place us in the book of prophecies in that section. They actually put it in the book of sages or the book of wisdom. So today we're going to be focusing on godly wisdom. We know that we enter into godly wisdom. If we go the way of the Lord, then we have the confidence of God in us and our confidence is in him. Then it's a lot easier to be courageous when God's on your side. Amen. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on is that we can't always choose our life. We can't choose our circumstances. This morning, I, I, uh, have you ever just turned on the news just to see what's going on and just be blown away? Like, I got to turn this off. This is crazy. Like, it's only been on for 10 seconds and I got to go to church. I just got to be with Jesus. This morning, I turned on the news and I watched a, a report of a, of a person in Syria. And Syria was getting bombed by everybody around them. Just everybody around them was bombing them. There's other Islamic nations. Israel's hitting targets in there. Jordan's hitting them. Iran's blowing them. Now Turkey was launching missiles. And I was just thinking about it as a person. Like, imagine I just woke up. Look, look, God, I'm just Syrian. I didn't ask for any of this. But now everybody's throwing bombs at me. I didn't get to choose that situation. But I get to choose who I serve. I do get to decide who is my God and who is in control regardless of what's going on around me. So the first principle of godly wisdom that I want to lay before you as a perspective as we move through this book, and this is the perspective we want to have, is God is my judge. God is my judge. I'm going to put it this way. God is my final judge. Just so you guys know, when we talk about judge, and I'm going to unpack this and explain it to you so we can see that it might not be as heavy. Sometimes when I say judge, it might be like, 
Joey, I've weighed all the evidence of your life like it's a court trial, and I have found you guilty. Knock, 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 right? You know? No, we're not talking about that kind of judge. Let's back it up a little bit, a little softer. It's going to be like cooking shows. It's going to be like the judges on cooking shows. It's going to be like bake-off shows. Is anybody big into the bake-off shows? Well, me and my family, because we're Christian and we don't have a lot of options of a TV program, we've fallen into the Great British Bake Off, and we love it. We love all this baking. But what happened is because we eliminated the ability for my kids to watch all kinds of TV, now they've gotten to British Bake Off, right? And so after a while, my kids look at me, and they're like, hey, Dad, can we do that here? Can we just be baking all day here? And I'm like, that's a really great idea. Now, just a background for you. I'm not a baker. I like, I'm a guy. I like to go outside and grill, right? Right, man, out in the fire? That's what I do. I like to go out there. But my wife is an amazing baker. And so my boys look at us and say, can we start putting stuff together? And I'm like, yeah, 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 let's start baking. So the first thing that we've attempted, or at least I've attempted, was blueberry muffins. And I want to let you know, I'm very proud of these blueberry muffins. We put it together. We worked hard on the recipe. We baked it. We left the light on in the oven and stared at it as it rised over the 20 minutes. And it was a miracle, and it came out. I'm like, man, this thing is gorgeous. And I pull it out, and my boys look at each other, and we smile, and we turn to face the actual master baker in the house, my wife, Jackie. And she does this. Okay, okay. And I'm like, what do you mean, okay? This, I mean, call Better Homes and Garden. We're ready to go now. Take the picture now. This is gorgeous. She pulls it out, and she thumps it. Hear that? That bottom crust? That's not a muffin crust. And my sons and I look at each other and we're like, oh no. And then she pulls it open and then this beautiful smell comes. You can see the blueberries and all the thing and it's all warm and fluffy inside and she presses it and she goes, warm and fluffy, that's a good sign, that's a good sign. She smells it and she takes a big bite. She doesn't say anything for a minute. Can I tell you, longest minute for something as dumb as this, my, kid, my boys are looking at me, I'm looking at my boys, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. She goes, that's exquisite. Oh, Oh, all the validation in the world. We can bake. We can do this. When we're talking about God as our judge, don't think of it as pass or fail, but as the person that's pouring over to you and giving you the affirmation, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, the world isn't the final judge. People around you might have criticism, but you are who God says you are. And if God says you are on the right track, and God says that you are doing well, and God is saying, You are faithful to me and I am with you. What else can any other criticism come in and say? God is the final judge. You know, if you watch the great British Bake Off show, there's a man named Paul Hollywood. He's like the master baker. And some of you who have watched the show are nodding already. But if you haven't, let's let you know, he's he's a man of few words, but he gives correct uh, descriptions to what the person's done right or wrong because he's done it for so long. He knows what he's talking about, right? He's a master baker. What I love is these moments is that in the beginning of the season, somebody comes in and they're not as good as the other bakers, but they have heard what the master baker said. You need to work on this. You need to bake a little bit longer. You need to observe your liquid when you put it in. And they take it to heart and they work hard. And then towards the end of it, they go from last place towards first place. And then Paul Hollywood walks up and takes one of their final products and bites into it, doesn't say anything, puts it down and reaches across and gives a handshake. And if you know anything about the show, the handshake means you have achieved greatness. You have achieved greatness. The book of Daniel is this. Daniel, you didn't get to choose your situation, but you have heard me. You've listened to me. You have followed to me. And he reaches across and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. How many of us would love to hear God say that? 
How many of us would love to know that God approves of what I am doing? And that is the blueprint of the walk of the life of Daniel. We want more than what this world has to offer. We want God. And so that's what we're going to be seeing through the book of Daniel. But we have to understand that God is our final critic. God is our final judge. And he is who we say we are. Now, for context for the book of Daniel, so you guys understand how powerful this moment is, is that Daniel was going to be doing kind of an autobiography. He is writing this. At this particular point, we believe Daniel is about 17 years old, maybe up to 20. He's been taken from his homeland. He's been brought into a new land by Babylon, right? And at this time, Assyria has attacked the north of Israel. Israel and Judah were two separate kingdoms at this point, has obliterated Israel. Babylon has taken over and defeated the Egyptians and now taken over Israel and brought these boys back. And in the future, we're going to see that there's going to be even more countries that come over and take over Babylon. So you can see in the middle of this, what we're reading is prophecy that was being unfolded to them from the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah. So everything that's happening right now to Daniel, put in context, Daniel might have advanced knowledge that this is going to happen. It's currently happening to him. And guess what? He's in the middle of it. So if you read with me in verse one, I want you to see how he puts a timestamp on it. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, I'm going to put in here why this is so important that Daniel put this. First sentence is, if you look at the very end, it says the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. What you don't read is the army of Israel went out to fight Babylon. You don't see that. They actually battened down the hatches, closed up shop, and hid inside. The reason why they hid inside is because for years, prophet after prophet after prophet has come to Israel and said, I know that you think that you're living for the Lord. You're not. You're not living for the Lord. And I'm going to give you an out. Repent, turn towards the Lord, and I will be your defender. Not an army, not any kind of weapon. The Lord himself will be your defender. But did the people take him up on that? No, they actually turned. In fact, the reason why he says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim is an evil puppet installed by foreign leaders. And he actually did not love the Lord. In fact, he helped the nation of Israel turn away from the Lord. Now, what's interesting is the second part of the of verse two is as they say, they take the holy things of God and drag it off to the faraway temple in the treasury of the, other, of the other gods, right? Why do they do that? Well, we saw the Philistines do that. Anytime they conquered a nation, what do they do? They would take the, the articles of another nation and lay it before their idol, right? So that their idol was tall and everybody's other stuff was down here and go, look, look how we show dominance over these people. But I want to let you know why Daniel put it this way. There's a context here. Even though the people of the Lord were turning away from the Lord, they still went to the temple. They still worshiped like we do today. They still gave like we do today. They sacrificed to the Lord the way that God had prescribed. But God had come along and said, when you come into church for them, for them, let's say on the Sabbath, I hear what you're saying, but your hearts are corrupt. You say that you're for me, but you don't live for me. And what he's basically saying is one foot in the world is all the way out of the kingdom of God. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your full and undivided heart to me. Have I not given you all of me? Give me all of you. 
I will not suffer you if you are in the way of having idols over me. And so he has given them over to the nation of Babylon. So just because Joey Everington comes in here and he worships and you see him in the front row, oh, Joey's raising his hands. He must be on fire for the Lord. Or he gives or he reads his Bible or takes lots of notes. What is the real reason that you're here? Is God your Lord? Is God first? Is he Lord over everything in your life? Is there anything above him? That is why Daniel puts this in perspective because a fall of grace can look two different ways. So sometimes we can say somebody's life is falling apart. Oh, maybe the Lord's attacking them. Or maybe have you ever seen somebody who's been on fire for God fall away from God? And their life's still okay. Finance is okay. Health is okay. But you go, man, you can feel the favor in the hand of the Lord pull away as they go deeper into their idol worship, right? And that's what he's saying. But Daniel's gonna say, even though that's what happened to the nation of Israel, let me tell you how I handled it. This kind of rings true of today, right? The nation turned away from God, but the people of God didn't turn away from God. Can you hear it ring true today? So this is what we're gonna see in verse three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring, the king's, uh, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical de- defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So just to give you an idea of who they grabbed and brought into the situation, they brought basically the noble, the noble princes. So Daniel would have been a guy that was probably in the line of David, right? So he's in the lineage of David, so he's a noble prince, and they grabbed him to make him a political captive. There's a couple different reasons why they would grab this kind of kid. The reason why they grabbed this kid is if Israel ever were to raise up, pretty much the leaders of Israel would be the ones to do it. But if your son is the one that's politically captive, they go, you can do a little, uh, you know, freedom fighting here, but we're going to go ahead and slit your son's throat. And so that would hold them at bay, right? You know, that would hold them at bay. So that's what Daniel's walking into. Now, also, too, there's another side of it they would do. They would indoctrinate these guys. They would brainwash these guys to show them Babylon is not only better, you know, better or stronger than Israel, but better for you. And so that these Jewish men, if they were ever to go back out, they could be a witness and say these things. Hey, you know what? Israel's old. It's antiquated. Babylon's the new way. Let's go the new way. You know, this is what Daniel's basically saying. You can be a witness for God or you can be a witness for the world. It doesn't matter if your title is Christian or not. And that's what he's saying. They're about to enter into a situation where they want to change us. Let's put it this perspective. Change our identity. Look what it says in the next part here. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were enter into the king's service. You might just read that and it just sounds like, well, you're in Babylon now. You eat what Babylonians do. And we've got a job for you to do. But basically what they're saying is we want to take the people of Israel and make them Babylonian so they can go back and witness to the other Jewish people and say, convert convert. You know, everybody has an agenda. Everybody has a sermon. And what they're trying to do here is almost erase and make the people of Israel forget not only who they were, but who God was to them. And that's why it's, if you look at it, it's three years of what? Indoctrinated into the political structure, indoctrinated into the food, indoctrinated the way. Show us the way that Babylon is better. You know, it's no different than today, right? Is there agendas today? 
What is the agenda today? To move everybody off of God governing to self-governing. You can see that alive and well in our schools, right? You can say, well, there's a separation of church and state, but there's still a church and it's the church of self. Is, is that on attack in the minds of our children? Is it on attack in the mind of the people watching news? It doesn't even matter what news channel you watch. You can agree with a person, that even though, I know, I'm gonna go to a sacred cow. Uh, email Pastor Craig if you have any questions. Basically goes like this. You, you can agree with someone politically up to a point. Have you ever been to that place? I agree with them here. I agree with them. I agree with them here. But I don't agree with them here. But they would say to you, oh, no, 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 no. Convert to what I think, not convert. You know, that's you. Convert to what I think. Fit you, your life into the mold of what we want, not into the place of what God wants. But I want to let you know something. In the kingdom of heaven, there's only one king. And there's a theocracy. And when he speaks... His words go. That is going to be in play in here. But understand that everything that God has done up until this point in Daniel's life, in your life, is to pull you into these situations where you could be the message of God, that you could be the good news of God. Daniel isn't here by mistake. In fact, I want to let you know, God is not reactive. Sometimes we can look at Israel, a bunch of bad boys, bad girls. They stayed up too late. They didn't brush their teeth. They didn't do what God asked them to do. And now God's punishing them. No, God has a plan inside of his chastisement. Look at Isaiah 39, 7. It's up on the screen. I believe that Daniel knew this walking into this situation. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you. Remember, this is 70 years before Daniel was even a thought in his parents' mind this was written. You will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. I want to let you know how profound this verse is. Because 70 years prior, Babylon wasn't even a superpower in the area. It'd be like me coming up to you and go, and one day New Jersey took over the entire United States of America. And you'd be like, the Garden State? The one that's this big on the map? They made it past Texas and all their guns? But the truth of it is, this is how God proved how powerful he was. Before Daniel came, he said, one day there's going to be a superpower that overtakes Assyria and blows them out of the water. And you'd be like, who? New Jersey. Are you kidding me? And then it happened. And then everybody was like, wait a minute. God is real. God is real. We are in this moment right now. You have to understand, has God called you into a perfect life? raindrops on roses and whiskers from kittens? Has it been like that? Or has he called you into the life that he's called you into to grow you, but also to shape the world through you? This is what Daniel's doing. And in the middle of this, Daniel's going, it's no mistake that I'm here, so I better start paying attention to the one who wrote this already. The one who's given me his promises. The one who said, I have a plan in the middle of the storm. Look at verse six. Among those who were chosen were some Judah. Or for some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azrael. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave them Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. You might actually recognize their uh, Babylonian names over their other names, right? But was something fancy that Daniel's doing, because in the war of trying to destroy their identity, in the war against these Jewish men to get them forget who God is, Daniel does something almost cheeky. It's really incredible. If you look at the beginning, it says, among those who were chosen. In some translations, it's closer to the word children. But it's not just a children or chosen. Like, you know the show, The Chosen, with Jesus and the disciples? Part of the reason they call it The Chosen is because God chose these disciples, right? He hand-selected them. 
in this word, Daniel's kind of doing something similar. He's saying the children of Judah, or in other words, the children of the Most High God. Look what he says. Among those were the children of God. They tried to give us new names, but I have not forgotten where I came from. Who do I belong to? My identity is wrapped up in God. You know, I'm going to touch on this for a second. You know, in, in, in the, the talk about identity and sexuality, this is the first time in history, I think in the last hundred years, that people have identified themselves by their sexuality. It's never happened in history before. There's been all kinds of homosexual people that struggled all through the years, right? We understand that. It's not like it just got invented, like a bug happened like in the last hundred years. It's happened for as long as man's been alive. They, no one's ever said, hey, I'm King Caesar, a homosexual. No one's identified themselves with that. They said, I'm King Caesar, and these are all the things that I do, right? But what does the world want to do? Do you guys understand? In a godless world, we want to remove God, but to remove God, we have to remove the image of God from us. So the war on identity isn't just to attack sexuality. It's to remove the God part. If I was made in the image of God for God, then who do I belong to? Daniel's saying, this is a stand on which I will not break because the God that wrote that prophecy is continuing to have a pen in writing my life. And so I trust him in his power to write the good things of my life, not me. So who cares what the world says that I am? I'm a child of the most high God. And so I am chosen. And so I have been born to reflect his glory, to give his glory. And in doing so, I will flourish because his hand upon me will make me flourish. Which brings us to our second principle. I must decide I belong to God. You know, some people can say, you know, have you ever heard this before? Well, uh, you know, it's just me. This is how I'm made. I'm Irish. I fly off the handle. You ever hear that? You ever say, well, I'm Italian. I just fly off the handle. I'm Latino. But that's not, I'm sorry. You get to decide who you are and who you belong to. The Lord would say this, do you belong to your sin or do you belong to me? Do you belong to your culture or do you belong to me? Do you belong to the problems and situations that are external, that are around you, that are crushing you, or do you belong to me? And the Lord is saying, if you belong to me, then guess what? You're going to be in direct opposition of the world, and the world is not going to like that because we have something that the world does not have, and it's a simple little word, and it comes from one man, and that word is repentance. See, if you can tell the world hey, I'm okay as I am, then you have no reason to repent. But if a doctor walks in the room and you say to the doctor, I don't care what you got to say today, I'm fine, I'm out. But he's standing there with a bunch of tests that say you're not. Who has the truth? Jesus Christ has come into our lives to say, hey, you're sick and I have the cure and it's me and the sickness is sin. You need to repent. But if you have nothing to repent for, then you're doing Okay. And that is why the world hates the people of God to speak the words of repentance because you might not even speak it. Maybe you live it, right? I remember one time I was hanging out with friends. I was a teenager and I had given my heart back to the Lord and I had been living for the Lord. And they're like, well, Joey, why don't you drop no more F-bombs? Like, because my mouth now belongs to the Lord. And the breath that is inside of my heart belongs to the Lord. And so I will give him praise. And that is what I will do with it. So Daniel's in a moment where he's saying this, I'm at a critical point in my history where I can decide I am who the world says I am or I am who God says I am. Let me give you an instance. Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my judge. 
they would come alongside him. This, you can almost hear it. They're making fun of him. Uh, they would call him Belteshazzar, which means, may Baal protect me for the rest of my life. Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious is what his name means. And now Shadrach means he's under the command of a coup. It's another God. Mishael is who is what God is. Like who is like God? He becomes Meshach. Who is like a coup? You see the trash this hawk they're giving right back to him? Azariah says, whom Yahweh helps becomes Abednego, the servant of Nebo. But the Lord is saying the reason why they are attacking you in this way and projecting on you and trying to brainwash you is because they don't want me. In fact, if you remember when we're going through the book of John, Jesus would say it this way. Look at John 17 on the screen. I have given them your word. This is the Lord Jesus praying over us and talking to us as well. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Let me tell you what we are hitting in Daniel, what we're hitting in this scripture right now. We can't select our lives. In fact, who's in control? God is in control. But think of how like tasty this moment might be for, for Satan, right? Ooh, I got the children of Israel right in my grasp. And God's like, and? I'm about to do some profound things through Daniel. Yeah, but I got all of the nation of Babylon around and I'm gonna indoctrinate them. I'm gonna brainwash them. No, you're not. These are my children. These are my chosen. I have entered in your enemy camp to change the enemy camp from within. I am about to do something amazing within. So when we look at the world and we feel like we're at odds, don't look at what the world's doing. Look what God can do in our schools through our children. Look what God can do through our, our government, through our, our leaders who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what God can do in our neighborhoods, in our community, in, in any situation through God's power. And that's what the Lord is saying. But don't be like mystified. The world's gonna hate you because what is the one difference that you have that they don't have? My full reliance is on God, not me. But the world would say, no, but we need us. Think about it, like, you're fine, you're okay, you're a unique snowflake, it's perfect, how everything's going. But the Lord would say, no, 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 you're a person who needs a Messiah, and I have come to you. And so, just to give you an idea, we've talked about four young men, but you guys understand, more than four young men have been taken in captivity, right? Not every one of the Jewish men were like, yeah, cool, let's follow the Lord. Let's put a number out. We don't know the exact number, but let's just say 100 noble princes were taken out of Israel and brought brought over to Babylon. Well, a hundred, only four stayed dedicated to the Lord, but the rest of the 96 went the way of the world. Kind of sounds similar to what we deal with in the church, right? Narrow is the gate, right? Narrow is the wide is the way of the world, but narrow is the gate. But you know what's amazing? God only needed four to bless Israel. Out of the obedience of Daniel, God was able to use that and bless Israel. Look at the next part where it says here, for Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And when he asked the chief official permission not to defile himself that way, now God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord King who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men? Your age, the king would then have in my head because of you. I, I feel for the official at this point because he's like, you want to do what now? You want to become a vegan? This is all vegetables and water all day and then you want me to present them and then you look like that and then I got to show, what? Have you seen the crusty hippies down at the health food store? No disrespect, I shop at the health food store. I shop at the health food store. But what he's saying is, and believe me, I, I'm never giving up meat, so this is not a prescription. 
But what he's saying is like, you want me to do what? But, the, but what Daniel's really saying is, I can't enter into the lifestyle that you've asked me to because to do that is to break faith with the God who's been faithful to me. You see, he's echoing the thing that Jesus said in John 17. He's saying, I don't care what you're presenting me. I'm not of this world. So the things that I do are not of this world. So let me just ask you this. Can I go the way of my Lord and see how it blesses you? You see, the blessings that fall upon Daniel are going to change not only him and his friends are going to change the nation of Israel, it's going to change even the life of his, uh, of his king. And so I just want you to put it in this mind, in this heart, you have a decision to make. Will you follow the Lord? I want to put up two different versions of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. King James Version would say it this way, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Let me give you a better word. He would not pollute his relationship with the Lord. I'm not going to pollute my relationship with the Lord, because my God is so pure and holy, that's where I'm, I'm aiming to meet him. So for me to have success, for me to have a flourishing in my life, I gotta meet God where he's at. Look at uh, the New American Standard Version. He would say, but Daniel made up his mind. Daniel made up his mind. It doesn't, you go, Lord, my life is complicated. You get it. No, following God is easy. Just do what he says. Now, the circumstances might not be easy, but to get from point A to point B, God doesn't make it very hard. Do what I say, I'm God, watch how I flow in your life. Which brings us to our next godly principle. I must decide to be faithful to my ever faithful God. How many people here, and I'm gonna break this down for you so you can see how the Lord has had his hand in your life. How many people here have been blessed by God when you're in the middle of wrestling with God? And you're like, God, quit being so nice because the nicer you are to me, the more I look like a weirdo like arguing with you and struggling with you because you keep blessing me and blessing me and I'm having less and less reason of arguing with you. Like I'm finding all more and more reasons just to praise you and follow you. And you can just see the compassion and the goodness of God. And so Daniel's saying, I only have one choice, to be faithful to the God that's been faithful to me. Yes, I'm far away from home, but guess what? My God hasn't given up on me. In fact, we have just begun. You might be in a situation right now where the doctor gave you the report or there might be a marriage that's broken or, or, or maybe you're in a situation that you can't find your way out of and you could be like, well, that's it. Might as well wave the white flag. And God's like, what are you doing? I'm about to begin. I'm about to do a profound work in you so that the book of you is now on display to the world. And people go, what in the world has happened here? God has happened here. And the obedience of God is what brought us here. What Daniel is doing is saying, I will not compromise on my walk with the Lord, because God has never compromised with me. You know that verse where it says, no weapon uh, formed against me shall prosper? It's for the people of God, not the people who kind of think God's cool, or the people that kind of like hope that God makes good on that Bible verse. It's for the people of God. You know, I was back in the youth, and we were doing small groups, and I had a 17-year-old girl. So think about the 17-year-old girl. Daniel was probably about seven when he got taken to captivity. And we had this profound conversation. I want you to hear from her out of the mouth of babes, right? Like a little kid saying this. I said, where, where, where is home? And they said, wherever your loved ones are. And I go, but what if that home gets destroyed in a tornado or a fire and gets ripped away? What if you get kidnapped and, and, and taken away to another country? Where is home? And she thought about it and she thought about it and she looked up and she said, right here. And I said, why do you say that? And she goes, because the God who loves me the most and the God that I love the most is right here. So wherever we go, we're home. So we're doing work. We're doing work. And I said, hold on, let me, um, I got to teach Sunday. Let me write that down. Uh, I have to say this is what she's saying is just like Daniel would say, 
there's no value to compromise and having faith in God. Either he's God or he's not. Either I trust him or he's not. And so he's, she's saying, like everybody else is saying, I belong to the Lord and the Lord is my final judge. And if he gives me the affirmation that I'm doing well, then I'm fine. I'm not keeping my eyes on the storm. I'm keeping my eyes on the God of my storm. Charles Stanley would say it this way. We like to say this a lot here all the time. I will trust God and leave the consequences to him. You've probably heard us say it a lot of time. But I would say Daniel would complete it and put it out this way. I will trust God and leave the consequences to him because only he can redeem me. I'm not trying to save my skin, Daniel says. I'm trying to flourish in the Lord. I'm not trying to be physically okay. I'm trying to be spiritually strong and stand on the word of the Lord because where the Lord, the Lord has come, I have stand strong and have flourished in the face of great adversity. You know, this is an understanding moment for us. This is a pivotal moment for us. God has put a great power in your hands. It's the power to choose. You can choose this day who you serve. And this is why Daniel would make these comments, just like Joshua would make these comments. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because he has been good for me. But understand this, the Lord is going to lay out a concrete case in front of you. He's going to lay out a case in front of you why you need him. You know, in the middle of this, what does Daniel have? In the middle of all of this, what does Daniel have? He has got God. That's it. And God will bring you to those situations where he breaks your heart from all those things that break his heart. God will bring you to those situations where you are isolated from all of your power and all of your cleverness and you have to throw your hands up and go, I got nothing. And he goes, exactly. The only thing you have is me and my grace. I wanna put this slide up on the screen so you can kind of see where Daniel is moving. This is the purpose of grace. First, the purpose of grace is for salvation and for deliverance. Who here would be here if God did not look down from heaven and had to take pity on you from the cross? Grace. So we all have that deliverance. Okay, that's great. I got fire insurance. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. Yahoo. Now how do I do the rest of my life? Day by day, Daniel received grace, did he not? Hostile territory, hostile enemies all around him. The only thing he has is the grace of the Lord. The word I put up there is covenant. It's called the covenant of grace. And this is how you know that the Lord is good for you and good to you. You know that word covenant is close to not a contract, but a marriage pact. That word covenant is something tighter than just something you could sign on a piece of paper. It's till death do us part. God on his side, it says, I'm here to provide for you. I am here to take care of you. I am here to spiritually lift you up to heavenly places. And day by day, Daniel needed that. We could read this and read one chapter, right? Boom, Daniel's awesome. He's got a great life. You could read all of the chapters of Daniel and go, oh, that's awesome. But what about me? What about today? And God go, what about it? I'm here right now. My mercies are new every day. Look at this. As a great Anglican pastor said this, I think in the 1700s, look at this quote. See how it applies to Daniel and see how it applies to you. God knows we have nothing of ourselves. Therefore, in the covenant of grace, he requires no more than he gives. Who here is like that? I only got what the Lord gives. But look at the next part. But, what give, but gives what he requires and accepts what he gives. You know, there's no more demand on you to be anything more than God has placed in you, and that's himself. Daniel doesn't have to try to be more. He just has to be the person that God has get, made him to be, and that's to stand tall on the promises and the word of the Lord. Don't forget who you are, Daniel. Don't forget where you came from. Just understand this. I am for you and not against you. That's all you got. That's all you got to go with. 
There's nothing more that I require. You don't have to fix the situation. The God of the Lord goes before you and fix the situation. You can stand on God's word or you can fall in the world's failures. Daniel's doing something really, really special here. He's not fighting against the discomfort of the situation. He's fighting to honor his God with all that he has. I want you to see how that plays out in verse 11. So the Lord has said, I'm in a covenant with you and I'm in a covenant of grace and I will take care of everything. Daniel, if you honor me, it'll be good. Look at verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had pointed over to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, please test your servants uh, for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water, and drink. Then compare your appearance of that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and they tested him for 10 days. And so Daniel wisely gives them an out. Look, I know you don't believe me, but give me 10 days. Let's not see what we do. Let's see what the Lord does. But with confidence, Daniel's leaning on the Lord. Lord, if this is your way, I will honor you. You honor me honoring you. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So in the middle of this, Daniel and his three friends have said, God, we will honor you because of this last principle of godly wisdom. There are no detours to obeying God's voice and following him into victory. There are no detours to obeying God's voice and following him into victory. Now that verse that we just read and everything that we have read consequently, even in this point, doesn't say you have to be perfect. What it says is you have to be faithful. Can we make mistakes? Can we get off track? But do you hear the shepherd saying, get back on track, come back to me. Forgiveness and grace and mercy, by grace I pull you in. And so God is determining our life and there's no way around it. When the Lord speaks, we listen and we follow him and then we succeed. It doesn't even change Daniel's situation completely because he's still in captivity, yes or no? Yes, he's still in captivity, but who's ruling and reigning? God. I want to show you how powerful that is. Because he's listening, Daniel has had a small commitment to the Lord, but there's a huge impact and a huge outcome. And that outcome is he's spiritually stronger, which is going to play into the rest of his life. Look at verse 17. On the way to no detours. To these four young men, who gave knowledge? Who gave knowledge? God, God in the middle of all of this is going like, by the way, we're going to spend three years. They think they're going to brainwash you. I'm going to turn you into the emissary of God. I'm going to turn you into my greatest ambassador. For three years, these young men, get, God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Now, hold on to this, this sentence. It's really awesome. God's going to do a little trash talk later. Look at this. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So these guys were not just physically stronger they were spiritually stronger. Look at verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them. So the king's inspecting the goods. Did these guys do good for three years? And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Not only were they good, no one was equal to them. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar's like, where have you been hiding all the Jewish vegans? These guys are amazing. Well, I mean, I, this is what I want. This is top shelf quality. Why? Because the hand of the Lord is on them. Not only were they not like just getting by or surviving, they were succeeding. They were flourishing. Now look at the next verse. 
in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them how many times better? 10 times better. You in the hand of God is 10 times better than you not in the hand of God. You and your imagination and what you think is good for you, it's 10 times less as good as God going, you know what I imagine when I see your life? You know what I envision when I get a hold of life? When you bring your obedience to me, you know what I can see? Something 10 times better than you could even think or imagine. Would you, would you turn control of your life over to me? And because of that, they have now been raised up to superior positions in their life for whose glory? Who gets the benefit? Daniel and his friends. God gets the glory, God gets the praise, God gets the testimony, and we reap the benefits along the way. Why? Because the reward is, if you're obedient to God, you're in lockstep with him. And you have now not only done less than this, survived, you have changed the world. Let me give you an understanding of this. Daniel would be in the ear of the king, and he would be instrumental to getting the captives back to Israel. Four guys, maybe out of 100. That's all God needs. God only needs one obedient Christian in this room who will meet him in his will to change the world. Not just change your world, not just change your story, but through you change the world. How powerful is that? You in the hand of God is 10 times more powerful than you without. And I want you to see Daniel does something really fantastic at the end. Look at this last verse. And Daniel remained there until the first year of Cyrus. You might not see it at the surface, but what Daniel's saying, you know, Regimes come and go. Kings come and go. In fact, Assyrians went away, Babylonians went away, and the Persians showed up. But as for me and my Lord, we remain faithful and we bless the world. We bless the world. Daniel influenced the world because of his obedience to God and the power that was on him. Let me ask you this question. Is there a place in your life that you need to see the Lord move in a mighty way? Give him control. Is there a place where you'd like to see God overcome with his almighty hand in your life? Surrender your life to him. Give it over to him and see what he does. I want you to see Psalms 37, 4 says it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, you could come up to me and be like, Joey, I want a unicorn and a Lamborghini. And I'm like, I want to give you that. But I really can't, can I? Think about when you calibrate your heart to the Lord, who can really give you the desires of your heart? Who really can change your world? But for you to know what he would give, you have to align your heart with him to find out how good he is. And by grace, as you enter into that life, day by day, you will see how good he is. You will throw your heart back into him by faithfulness because I belong to God. I'm reminded of the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let me just read it to you really quick. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Listen to this verse. A pardon for sin and in peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Daniel wasn't one blessing. Daniel was blessing day by day by day from a 17-year-old kid to a 90-year-old man being lowered into the lion's den. Spoiler alert. And every single day was a blessing because who was there? God was there. Went with him, went before him, prepared the way, surrounded him with goodness and mercy. His situation didn't matter. The God of his situation mattered. And so today I want to give you an opportunity. If, If you have not been walking with the Lord, 
and you want the hand of the Lord on you, and you, you hear the, the call of the Lord in your heart right now, like maybe, you, maybe you've been giving too much of the world, and maybe your identity is with the world, and you want your identity to be locked up in Christ, we're going to pray right now and give you that opportunity. But make a declaration like Daniel did, not just to yourself and not just to the world, but to God. You are first. You are king. You are my everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to pray right now that we can stand strong on the rock, the rock that never moves. Storms will come and storms will go, but Lord, you will never change. And you are here for us and we cling to you. And the reality is that you have all called us into a covenant with you and it's a covenant of grace. Pour out your grace on me right now. I need it. I have not been living for you. I have not been following you. I've been living for the world. I've been living for myself. And today I want to make a declaration. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be in the hand of the king. I give you control. I surrender my life. That thing that I'm struggling with at home, it's yours. It belongs to you now. That thing that I've been secretly dealing with that nobody knows about, Lord, you already know, it belongs to you now. I surrender and give you control. I am a servant of the most high God. Release me. Let the chains fall down. I will flourish and succeed in your kingdom because I give you my obedience today. I belong to you and you belong to me and I am who you say I am, a child of God. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.